This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. This is Roger LaPointe, and I have known Bob Whalen for many years at this point, and he is one of the most intense individuals you will ever meet. Go MindForce Radio. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength, strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. So tonight we're going to get to know Professor Louis Attila. And in my opinion, he is definitely one of the most underrated of the great Iron Game old-timers. Most people are very surprised when they hear how much this guy did. I would for sure put him in the top five, maybe the top three of of the all-time great strongmen. And for a lot of people, he could be the best, which is going to be strange for you to hear, but you don't, you don't realize that he was the forefather of a lot of the stuff we're doing right now. He was really the father of it all. He was the original strength coach and personal trainer. I have a huge poster of him on my wall in my garage. It used to be on my gym in D.C. for like over 20 years. Now it's on my garage. Vic Boff gave it to me. So that just shows you how high that Vic Boff held him. Uh, Vic Boff thought he was the greatest. And uh, I think that helped shape my attitude towards him just because I, I was a good friend of Vic Boff. In the final 10 years of his life, I spoke to him on a weekly basis. We had long phone calls. We talked all the time. So I was a very good friend of Vic Boff. We burned up the phone lines for hours at a time. And uh, we spent lots of times talking about Professor Attila. Yeah, he was doing stuff 120 years ago that we're doing now. He was practically the only guy doing it. He was very successful at it. He was a giant in his time. His real name was Ludwig Durlacher. He was born July 2nd, 1844 in Karlsruhe, Germany, and he lived to be 80 years old, which is a, a ripe old age, especially back then. He was very well educated, uh, and he studied in Berlin under a professor named Professor Ernst. He also played the piano, and he knew five languages, so he was very 
educated and intellectual, and that's probably why the professor title stuck later. He was also a very good all-around athlete. He, he didn't just lift weights. Uh, you know, he excelled in track and swimming. And the big change in his life came when he saw a strong man from Italy named Felice Napoli. And he became a student of Napoli as a teenager. Uh, and he learned all about the strongman trade. He, there was a lot to it. It wasn't just learning how to train. It was also learning how to perform on a stage. Because, you know, back then it was a lot of, uh, just like later in vaudeville, it was a lot of uh, performing. It was almost like, Acting and strength combined. So he, you know, he had to learn the the skill of staging and costumes and posing and showmanship and uh, you know all of the all of the trade and craft of being a a strongman performer as well as just training with weights. So he he spent a few years learning that with Napoli. Then later he also he met up with. Uh, someone named Valerie the Female Gladiator, and he toured in America and in Europe, and then later he changed his name to, uh, he got the Attila name from the, the leader of Attila the Hun, you know, so he became Louis Attila, and, you know, people stuck the professor name on there, so it was Professor Louis Attila. And in approximately, you know, 1866 or 18... Uh, 18, uh, sorry, 1886 or 1887, he began to focus more on opening up gyms and cutting back on his strongman showmanship. So he opened up his first gym in Brussels, Belgium, and he later also had a gym in London before he came to America and opened up his, his famous New York City gym. But in this first gym that he opened up around 1886 or 1887 in Brussels, Belgium, uh, this is where he gave a young uh, war deserter. He was actually a deserter from the German army. I think it might have been even known as the it was the under Bismarck, but it was Carl Frederick Mueller. And he came wandering in the gym one day, and uh, he just needed a job. And uh, Attila gave him a job as a janitor, and. Uh, I'm going to embellish this a little bit, but it's probably close to being true, you know, because he was just a, a kid who, who left the, the German army. He went over to Brussels, Belgium, which is right next to Germany, got a job as a janitor in the gym, and he, all he did was be a janitor. And he, he asked if he could use the equipment, and Professor Attila said, Sure, as long as you get your work done, as long as you clean the bathrooms and sweep the floor and do all that, when you're done, you can you can use the equipment. Well, Carl Frederick Mueller had very good genetics, and he worked real hard. He did his job real well. He cleaned the toilet, swept the floor, wiped down the equipment, did everything he was supposed to do. And then when he got through, he was able to use the equipment. Well, it didn't take long before Carl Frederick Mueller got big and strong and got unbelievable results and pretty soon he was like the biggest strongest guy in the gym even matching Attila so he you know that caught his attention so Attila gave he said you know you don't really have to do this toilet cleaning anymore maybe I can uh, be your coach so that's that's pretty much how it happened 
Mueller later changed his name to Eugene Sandow. So the professor, you know, he's he's probably most known and most famous for that. He's probably more famous for being the tra- the trainer of Sandow uh, than he is for anything else. But he did a lot more than just discover and train Sandow. And the funny thing is, back in the time of the 18, late 1800s, Attila was extremely famous, but his fame didn't last for some reason. I mean, as the years have gone out, as, as the years have gone on, his, his fame has faded, and every generation later has kind of uh, had less, less memory of uh, Attila. But the opposite of true is of Sandow. It seems like the more time goes by, the greater the image of Sandow gets. I mean, Sandow's image is huge still. People, almost everybody knows who Sandow is, but most people don't know who, who Attila is. It's it's hard to explain why, but if for some reason it's just true. So that's why I picked Attila, because I just want to, you know, uh, make sure that you, that you uh, realize how great this guy was. He's just as he's just as elite as Jowett, Hack and Schmidt, and Sandow. If, if you rate him by his achievements, and just like Vic Boff said, only the most knowledgeable physical culture enthusiast know about this. They you know know about how great he was. This is a quote from Vic Boff. Okay, Vic Vic Boff said, Professor Attila was one of the greatest men, if not the greatest in the history of physical culture, culture and the iron game. He was like the father of it all. And then Bob Hoffman stated in Mighty, Mighty Men of Old, quote, the modest Attila designed to remain in the background, never seeking publicity, for he had built a better mousetrap and the world beat a path to his door. Modern strength athletes owe more to this man than to any other. That's a quote from Bob Hoffman. Some of the things he did, he was the originator of the shot-loaded globe barbell. And prior to this, only globe dumbbells were used. Uh, He invented the bent press, the Roman chair, the Roman column, and many feats of strength, including the art of tearing poker cards. He was also among the first to encourage women to train with weights. He was also the first man to bent press over 200 pounds. And later, when he came to America, I think he came to America in 1893, but in 1894, he opened up his gym, and it was a physical culture studio is what they called them then. I even called my gym in D.C. a physical culture studio. But he named his gym Attila's Athletic Studio and School of Physical Culture. And then later, <laughs> I'm going to embellish on this, too. This is probably true, but I'm just embellishing a little bit. But there was a guy that was a gym rat hanging around the gym all the time and probably hitting on Attila's daughter because Attila had a hot young daughter named Grace probably hanging around the gym all the time training because, you know, he was the, one of the first people to encourage women to train. So, you know, Grace was in the gym all the time. And, uh, you know, she probably looked good. And uh, one of the gym rats always in there. His name was Sig Klein. <laughs> True story. So Sig Klein was going out with Attila's daughter, Grace. 
and later they got married. And the famous Sig Klein's gym that stayed in that stayed in uh, New York City until the early 1970s, after Sig and Grace got married, you know, they and Sig inherited the gym and changed it to Sig Klein's gym. So that's a pretty interesting story. And uh, something that makes it even more interesting is the great Bill Pearl and the stories in my book, Iron Nation, uh, when I interviewed Bill. It was a great story. So if you have Iron Nation, reread it. Bill Pearl has all those dumbbells and barbells that came from Belgium, from Louis Attila in, the, in his barn in Oregon. Bill Pearl's barn is like a museum. So before, uh, before Sig Klein died, he wanted to find someone to give all this you know, historical equipment to that would appreciate it. Because back in the 60s and 70s, people didn't really appreciate physical culture history like they do now. I mean, it wasn't as, there were some that did, but it wasn't a huge audience like it is now. Sig wanted to make sure he found someone that really appreciated it, so he gave stuff to Bill Pearl. Some of the other things that uh, Professor Attila did, in addition to coaching Eugene Sandow, he also coached a lot of other famous people. I mean, he coached Warren Lincoln Travis, Strongman Barker, Lionel Strongfort, George Rolandau, Louis Sear, Bobby Pandor, Adolf Nordquist, the boxer gentleman Jim Corbett, and, and lots of others. I mean, he had kings and queens knocking at his door. He was a consultant to King Edward of England and King Christian of Denmark and I may not be pronouncing this right, but uh, King Hakon, or H-A-A-K-O-N, of Norway. King George of Greece and the Tsarine of Russia, Baron Rothschild and Alfred Vanderbilt. And these are just some. I mean, there's a long list. If you, if you go to Google, you can find tons of stuff on them. But this is just a short list of some of the people that he's either trained or consulted with there were many, many more that were just visitors to his studio in New York. In his day, the professor was one of the most respected men in the iron game. So just remember, he did a lot more than just discover Sandow. Uh, just as Bob Hoffman and Vic Boff stated, we owe a lot to this man, perhaps more than any other, for laying the foundation of physical culture. Coming up next, we have legendary pit gym powerlifting coach, Dick also served in both the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Army, so thank you for your service, and welcome back, Dick. Thank you, Bob. Um, uh, I tell you, I, I, I never knew how much you <laughs> knew. I, I guess I, I'm, I'm a little bit, because of my age, a little bit lost, and I used to read some of the strength and health uh, strongman, old-time strongman articles, but was always looking for what's new, and really missed out. You 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 got amazing knowledge of of all this, and I guess these young people nowadays have access to this. I just didn't really know that because I'm still a book guy. <laughs> I could I could imagine what kind of a book you could put out. Of course, I know that that would take lots of time and effort. But the pictures and the stories you know about these guys. I, I, I try to embellish it a little bit and make it funny, but that that does help you remember and kind of see the picture a little bit. Well, yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, I've often thought 
guys will constantly ask the question in a gym still, how much can you do and how much can you do and how much can you do? I always thought if I want to be good at something that nobody could do, and I could probably walk in almost any gym in America, fitness center in America, if I was capable of doing a 200-pound bent press, there would be nobody there that could do it. Right, and especially when you think back then, it's like Attila had nobody practically. I mean, you know, there were strong men around, but if if you compare the, the people that he could have helped him, there was only a, a handful of people in the whole world that could really help him. That's it. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible history. And, of course, they fought against some tremendous odds. People don't realize how but weight training was just, even when I was a boy, was just so looked down upon and just so prejudiced against, you know, uh, you know, I... Uh, we really have had a lot of prejudices in this country that have been overcame or overcome, but uh, the weightlifting world had a, a, lo- a long, hard row. I mean, people would refuse to believe what they actually saw some guys do, believing that you got uh, muscle bound, believing that you got slow and et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I've got my own opinion as to why people, why people believe that. And it was more, in my opinion, on uh, just plain jealousy against yep. those people. But uh, but anyway, you well, got a heck well, of a well, knowledge well, of this stuff. Well, thanks. One of the reasons some of these stories came about is because people were brainwashed that athletes didn't lift weights. So that attracted a lot of non-athletes because they couldn't really do anything else. If a, if a guy wasn't a good baseball player and he, he wasn't a, uh, you know, he didn't play sports at all, a lot of those people gravi- you know, they, they gravitated to doing sports they could do by themselves. And you know, probably in the you know early 1900s, a, a lot of a lot of kids who just weren't athletes, but they were always getting picked on, like just like the cartoon getting kicked the sand in your face and stuff. They kind of they kind of gravitated to lifting weights because they could defend themselves from from bullies, and they didn't play sports. So since they never played sports to begin with, I mean. The, you know, would the guy get big and strong after lifting weights, and he never could catch a ball, okay? That, that's why he started lifting weights in the first place, because he never could catch a ball, right? But then later, right. when, he gets, when he gets bigger and stronger and someone throws a ball at him and he can't catch it, then a lot of times they would say, well, that's because of the lifting, or that's because of your muscles, when he never could catch a ball to begin with. So it, it, it took a long time for people to finally get this stuff figured out, but you and I, in our lifetimes, we have seen a unbelievable, dramatic change from the time we were born to now. It's just, it's just phenomenal how much things have changed. Just like you said, there were more lifters. There was probably the same amount of lifters uh, in the whole USA that are in your town right now when you were growing up. You know? Oh, yeah. So now, I mean, it's just, Every single town has a has a just about. I mean, not every town, but I mean, most towns now, most big, most big towns have a great gym with great equipment, and that was not true for most of our lives. Dick, I have several questions from our listeners that I'm going to ask you tonight. Okay, let me give you the first one. One listener says, uh, "Dick, what is your opinion? What what in your opinion are the best movements to build size and strength?" Well, you know. I, I had a guy that I, a, a powerlifter that I was talking with um, Friday, 
who is a well-built man, a good powerlifter, and up in age now as far as powerlifting goes. I mean, he's not a young man, and somewhere between 45 and 50, and still awful well-built and what have you. And he came up to me, and he said, you know, I still believe the powerlifts build the most muscle. Well, I believe he's right. And But I also added to him that those three lifts were not enough that he should add a few other movements if he's going to go back to that type of thought because he's done everything and so on and so forth. But the compound movement, you know, of an overhead press, bench press, and a pull-down or chin and a bent-over row are the best upper body movements, in my opinion, for building size and strength. And then, of course, a squat and deadlift. I'm reluctant sometimes to say things, though, that have to do with deadlifts and squats on 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 the air or even when I wrote for Hard Gainer magazine because you really need somebody who's willing to spend some time with you, who knows what they're doing to teach you that movement and or those movements for squatting the deadlift. And even, even an overhead press or any of them should be, you know, a thing that you respect as being able to build incredible strength because they work so many muscles around so many joints. But at the same time, I'm always reluctant <laughs> to tell somebody to do something, and I don't know if they're going to do it without any uh, help, you know, with somebody right. to teach them how to do those movements correctly. And even... Guys, I watch. I go back to the since I really only coach one and a half powerlifters. I coach one guy who's powerlifts and another guy who's a bencher in powerlifting contest. Since I only work with two people uh, in that direction, I I still spend time in 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 the, in the area where the powerlifting is, and the, the pit has in Evansville. You still a very unique area for powerlifters, and I, I go back there and watch him, and I. Unless they ask, I got nothing to say. You know, just don't want to say anything. Although I, you know, I've got, I made sure I get respect because I got the wall covered with stuff we done and trophies and all that. I always told a guy, this helps me teach. Uh, people true. will listen to me if they think I know something. But I see a lot of things going on back there that these guys will pay. They will pay the price. So if you do any movement, make sure you know how to do it. And and uh, compound movements are the best. And the four that I just mentioned for the upper body. And the two for the lower body will be and always have been the best. A lot of people have um, real careful philosophy on exercise selection. And, and I'm, I'm not as careful as a lot of people, but that's because if I train people, I have them do it a, a, in exact certain way. So just like on good mornings, I mean, I, I do believe that good mornings can be a good exercise, but I wouldn't tell someone to do them if I didn't see them doing it because – you have to do it in an exact certain way with your knees very bent. That's the way I do them. Start extremely light. Right. But, but, but that, that's why the, most people don't do them right because their knees aren't bent enough. They're either straight or almost bent. I mean, just bent slightly. And that's not, no, because the way I do them, I, my knees are very, very bent. And uh, now that, that's the same way I do bent over row. That's why, that's why I put them both together because there's going to be a lot of people out there saying, well, you know, they hurt their back doing bent over rows or whatever. Well, um, you can, and, and, but that's the same thing. When you're doing bent over rows, you have to have your knees 
very bent because a lot of you know I, I usually have people take a wide stance and bend their knees a lot and then pull the weight up to their stomach or you know just right over their knees to, and if you do it the right way the the odds are you won't get hurt if you start light enough but if you start too heavy and you're kind of jerking it up and your knees aren't bent enough you kind of uh, you, your feet are too close together and your and your legs are almost straight then you you might hurt your back so you, you your form on how you're doing it is extremely important. Well, there, you know, there is tools nowadays that comes that, that are outstanding. I, I it, it, you know, but again, a lot of play, people don't have those things. Uh, a, a bent over row is, is is a heck of a movement. It's uh, it took me a while when I used to lift weights to, to understand the value of it because I couldn't see what was going on in that area. But it, it, you know, it is a tremendous movement, and and a bend over um, is probably the best assistance exercise for the squat there is. And I've seen guys that just could, could do an incredible technique with it, and and really improve their squat. They could almost you can almost make a improve a squat without squatting if you can do a correctly done bend over. But again, I'm very reluctant to tell people to do the thing unless they understand what you just said. And the second question from our listeners is, uh, Coach Connor, is there a relationship between size and strength? I know a lot of people disagree with it, but I say there is a, a direct relationship. And if, there's, if there isn't, if you can build uh, huge strength, I mean huge size without strength, I don't know what good it is. Yes, there's a, there, there's no relationship, but if you train for strength, uh, and and that don't mean you're doing one rep. I don't like again when you say these things, you got to be careful. Somewhere, in, in somewhere between eight and twelve to even fifteen reps, and in leg exercises even higher, uh, is, is the best way to build strength. And that's not the best way to demonstrate it to somebody that don't know any different. In other words, if you're going to go out and show somebody how much you can lift, you got to train in that direction too. But it, it's always the same thing to me. You train for size by training for training to get stronger. And when I lifted weights when I was younger, I guess I caught on to that more by ego than anything else. Training at uh, Leo Stern's gym, he had some super strong people in there at the, in in that era uh, great pressers overhead pressers i mean to me they were and of course i would say they were probably the second best in america other than york and with the olympic team and a lot of olympic lifters team because they had some good olympic lifters there and when i was there those guys that had the most strength had the best bodies <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I tried to get strong like them, and I and and I built the the size from that direction. And I've always trained people that way, that they've got to be progressive strength training. You've got to get stronger, and you keep a record like you've mentioned before of where you're at. If you can bench press 120 for 10 reps, then you need to, if you want to be have a bigger muscle, in what muscles that bench press develops, then you got to get that where you're benching. Um, 10 pounds more with the same amount of reps. It's a simple thing, and as you right. said before, very simple. You keep a record. 
Right. And a, a lot of people want to focus on the exception, you know, rather than the 99%, okay? So if if you're talking about the relationship between size and strength, well, 90-some-odd percent of the time, you know, if a guy is big, he's going to be strong. I mean, you might find an exception, but, I mean, I wouldn't go pick a fight with someone that looked extremely strong, you know what I mean? I wouldn't just go insult him or treat him like dirt. I mean, you know, you, you, you're, you're going to naturally have a little bit of a higher respect level, you know, if you see someone very big, you automatically assume he's going to be very strong. Now, there's always exceptions, yeah. You might find somebody with extreme genetics, like in powerlifting. You've seen people who look light, you know, they look kind of skinny, but then you're amazed at how strong they are. You know, but th- these are the genetically gifted type, but... You know, rather than focus on the exception, I agree with what you just said. I think common sense-wise, most of the time, if you're big, you're strong, and if you're strong, you're big. There are exceptions, but that's the vast, vast majority of the time. That's the way it goes, you know. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlarger 9 product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at VitalNutritionStore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees' understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. 
This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website webstrengthcoach.com he will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs a program right for you bob will give you feedback after every workout this is old school fitness and nutrition no fads and no gimmicks bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied so visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let bob help you reach your best self webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com, where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com. Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, Honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen. To maximize your natural muscular and strength potential, please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation. A masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, iron game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I-R-O-N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on MindForce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30- or 60-second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on MindForceRadio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on MindForce Radio. Question number three, Dick. This is uh, 
if you are an ordinary trainee, right, ordinary regular guy working out in the gym, you're not training to be an elite competitive lifter or you're not competing for training to be uh, in an in a elite competitive event. You're training for fitness. The, que- the question is, if you're training for fitness, you're a regular trainee, can you build strength and endurance in the same workout? Yes, you certainly can, and um, I get in a lot of trouble with this one from a lot of people, but uh, I believe, uh, again, it's, it's, it, we don't have time and we are ne- never going to be able to keep people's attention long enough uh, to grasp onto this, but strength training, the, when, when, when a guy, I, 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 let, let's put it like this, when I used to do the 20-rep squat, I had no intention of of building any endurance. I was not interested in it. I was only interested in getting bigger. When when I went on the police department, they had a physical fitness test. I didn't know anything about the physical fitness test. I I wouldn't have done it know-how because I I, I was afraid I was going to lose something if I'd done something like that. But I got the highest score they had ever had on the physical, and I'm not bragging about anything because we weren't the men back then they are now. But... I got the highest physical fitness test, which was primarily a test of endurance. And I did not do any so-called endurance work at all. I, I'm telling you, if you get a guy got to do a 20-rep squad, uh, he, he, he builds incredible endurance. Um, and I, I train guys now, and I have them go from one exercise to the next without basically stopping almost at all. And I've had more people, and it has not been, it has not been uh, 14 days to a, a guy who's a, a retired uh, uh, emergency room surgeon told me, he says, I cannot believe my blood pressure from doing this type of training. And, uh, he, you know, basically it's just good technique and getting from one exercise to the next. And uh, he, he says, my blood pressure is just perfect. I, I can't understand it. Well, you know, <laughs> that that's an indication of, of what was taking place to in, in the internal organs from a proper strength workout. That's all that is. And, yeah, you can build incredible endurance, but you can't go to one sport. You can't switch over to being a miler without running a mile. You've got to understand you've got to be sport-specific to get good at whatever you want to do. But you can build endurance with weight training now if you do a set right. of curls and then rest 20 minutes no you gotta move on oh it does that, that's why i see the the listener's question didn't have the part about training to be a competitive I, I threw that in there to make it easier for you but the original question was you know can you build them both at the same time but mm-hmm. it, it and uh you know i know we agree on this because you can't be a world-class endurance athlete and a world-class strength athlete that's not going to happen so no the high the higher you go up in competition the more you have to train for one more than the other so because you have right. fast twitch you have fast twitch muscle fiber you got slow twitch muscle fiber and in the middle you have intermediate muscle fiber which is part of the fast twitch family but it can be converted it's more like muscular endurance type 2a i think but it's a but that fiber can be converted to fast or slow twitch depending on your training. So if you're an extreme 
uh, strength athlete, you're going to convert a lot of those intermediate fibers to fast twitch. And, but if you're if you're an extreme cardio athlete, you're going to convert some of those fibers to slow twitch. But you don't have a you know plus you're you're competing with other world class people who are doing everything possible to be world class. So you you have to pick. So that's why I changed it. So if you're an ordinary yeah. train ordinary guy training, yeah, you can do both at the same time. But if you're getting up really high and you want to be elite, you kind of got to pick one or the other, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, um, you can't be the, you can't, you know, there's a, there's actually a price to pay, in my opinion, in both, at both ends. Yeah. If you can, if, you know, the, the, the wasting away of, of muscle with, with marathoners to me is not a good plan. Or, right. The use of steroids to build great muscle size, um, it, it, it isn't. It, you know, they're both. It, I mean, if you want to do that, I, I, that's your business. Yeah. Although I just had a friend, just had a friend, in, in, in that I know who was 45 years old, that was one of the best built guys in town. Used steroids for some years. A great guy, and they, he, he's working out, and all at once he's got problems, and he they. Take him in, and he's had to have surgery and stents put in, and everything else. I mean, he's got to be the best-looking guy laying on the table in the hospital. Right. But yeah, the problem now with steroids is they're they're so common, they're everywhere. It's like you can just walk into a neighborhood gym, and it's oh, yeah. not. The thing is that that bothers me because I just went into a local place down here every now and then because you know you need motivation because you get tired of your own stuff sometimes. So, mm-hmm. you know, every now and then, you know, I'll, I'll go pay a one-day price and go train at a gym just to get some new atmosphere, you know. But uh, but I do most of my training with my own stuff in the garage. But, you know, just, just going in for a one-time, pay 20 bucks, get a workout. And when you look around, I mean, there's guys, old guys now that are doing juice. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, because oh, yeah. it, it's like, you know uh, – the you, you you kind of expect to see kids in their 20s doing it, but when you're seeing guys in their 50s doing it, but there's a lot of them, you know. And oh uh, yeah. It's it just it's just amazing, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's so common. It's just you know, and, and yeah, just just because you look, sometimes you know you're right. They'll, they'll look really good, but they'll be one of the most unhealthy guys. You know, they'll, they'll drop dead, even though they'll have a good looking corpse. Yeah, but, it's a, it's here to stay. There's no getting away from it. What is your definition of usable strength? Just here recently, I heard that question in the gym or a statement. This young man who I maybe I should have been, I felt bad the way I talked to him. I mean, I didn't talk, I didn't talk harshly to him. I just just kind of ignored him, and I shouldn't have because I didn't like. He's come in pretty forceful. He's probably 19 years old, and uh, he, he's got too many answers, and so on and so forth, in my opinion. But he was talking about building usable strength, and I seen him. I seen him just yesterday uh, or, or Wednesday, um, and he was doing deadlifts, jerking them like a wild man off the floor. And he's associated, in my opinion, that if you're moving a weight fast. And jerking and yanking on stuff, you're building usable strength. You're building strength um, uh, in, in a way that if you move slower with the weight, it's not usable. It's just showy. Good technique will work the muscle harder, 
and they don't have to be done in any specific speed but it you you have to keep the 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 barbell under control throughout the movement in my opinion and i know that's getting a little bit off the question but there there are people who believe that if if i use and we have used ever type thing at the gym we used to have a street strongman contest we had it many times and it was really a big deal in town uh, at one time, I went to the point where the city let us close off the street, and they'd sent the fire department over, and they'd done all kind of things, had police there, and uh, it was really a big deal where we had a strongman contest. Well, a lot of guys that trained for that felt like that they were building usable strength, whereas a barbell curl isn't usable strength, and it, 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 there's there's no connection at any of it, in my opinion. Uh all of it builds strength, and all of it builds usable strength uh, for something. Now, uh, you certainly have what we call showy muscles, and if you spend all your time working on those, you probably won't have as the kind of body you could have. In fact, I know you won't. I mean, uh, I just really think that guys get carried away with the idea that if I carry the sandbags, or if I do clean and jerks, that that strength's more usable than a guy that does a more strict style overhead press uh, or strict style bent over row or whatever. It's you know, I, I think it's uh, that these guys are, and and I might have thought that way myself at one time because I used to try to do some of the Olympic lifts, uh, and you know that would led to believe I, I i suppose that that would allow, that would build a strength that was more usable for anything that I, I would be doing but it's not in my opinion all right thanks a lot dick let's go to the next one uh what in your opinion is the biggest mistake made in training for natural bodybuilding well i there's, i tried to t- i used an example the other day in the gym a kid's got a heck of an upper body and he's training another guy, and I, the other guy's got a, a gifted calf muscle on him. I mean, he's got a long-bellied, huge calf muscle, which the other guy doesn't have. The guy that's got their outstanding upper body and fair legs, his legs don't come close to his upper body, uh, but his calves are just not there. They look about like mine. And the biggest mistake is... When you start out, and when I used to train bodybuilders, and, and I trained one guy that won Teenage Mr. USA, uh, and I trained another guy uh, that won Mr. Indiana, and I won a guy that won Teenage Mr. Indiana, and, um, fourth and Mr. America, and that kind of thing. So I've been around some pretty good bodybuilders uh, in, in in my life. Um, the very first thing a guy wants to do, if he really is thinking about being a bodybuilder, is train the, all the muscles. But don't get carried away with the idea you got to do ten sets of calves. You will burn yourself out, and you'll say, "Well," I'll, and you'll end up just training your favorite movements. And you shouldn't have favorite movements if you're going to be a bodybuilder. That's I hope that that's understandable. Again, you go back to the basic four movements that we just mentioned. For the upper body, the basic two for the lower body and a calf raise, 
and you pretty well will be training the bodybuilder movements, but I used to get disgusted training my calves because I believed I'd have to do so many sets. When one or two sets a couple of times a week would have been all I needed and it wouldn't have boggled my mind of having to spend uh, so much time. So make sure you train uh, all the muscles, and that doesn't mean you got to isolate. When you do a bench press, you're going to train the chest, you're going to cha- train the tricep, you're going to train the front deltoid. I guess if I was a bodybuilder today, I would do an incline because I get, began being around Leo Stern's gym. They really believed in that movement, probably because of Clancy Ross and uh, Leo Stern both. And and they do affect an area of the body that looks awful good. But you need to do all, uh, a, a, just a good basic movements where you do a couple sets at the most and and, and not get all uptight about whether you're doing enough for a certain area. Just uh, be basic and then see what happens. Bodybuilders don't become what they want to. They work out to see what happens and see how, what they look like, you know. No, thanks a lot, Dick. Let's go to the next one. Do you ever advise your clients to do any isolation exercises? Well, yes. Um, probably the main reason that I would have somebody do an isolation movement is they got a problem with not being able to do. I, I, t- I use a leg press for a lot of people. If they've got, a, if they have problems with that leg press in some area, and well, I will, I will try a leg extension and a leg curl to see whether we have the same problem. In other words, you're going to have knee problems. I mean, I'm training people that are in their 70s, some of them. And you're going to have problems at that age in almost all cases. Not everybody, but everybody usually has something wrong with them. So they might have to do an isolation movement. Now, uh, the the rear deltoid, for instance, in my opinion, is uh, almost absolute necessity to train after you've been working out for a, a, a length of time. Now, I've been over roll, get the same muscles pretty doggone good. But I, I've, I really believe you can save your shoulders to some degree, and I say that because you can't pull people away from the bench press. Most guys want to do the bench press too much, and but if you're going to do a lot of benching, then do an isolation exercise for the rear deltoid. And uh, that may be hard to understand for some people. It's a very simple movement. All you need is very light dumbbells and do lateral raises for the rear deltoid. I I really believe in that exercise. I believe in that as much as I would rotator cuff movement for strengthening a rotator cuff. You did a great job. Let's see, the last question is, how do you use odd objects? I mean, do you regularly use odd objects when you train clients, or how do you choose which clients would use odd objects? You only use them for training younger athletes or able-bodied athletes, and how do you use them, just as finishers or, you know, when and how? Well, again, the, 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 uh, there was a time when I had, you know, a, a different group of people I worked with. I probably, I'm almost 77, you know, I probably don't have the patience to train young people like I used to have. Older people are not as hard to deal with, or you know, it, it, they're just there to get a workout. But I do train a, a father and son that come over from, um, they take two hours to get here and two hours to get back, you know. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, how can you keep from training two guys like that? One's an outstanding high school football player. 
the, the son and the father was uh, was himself and the brother that I used to train also who's uh, now no longer playing football but um, I, I use odd object years ago as a motivator more than anything else I, I didn't you know think that if you didn't use them that you wouldn't be what you could have been but there, there is, a, for instance, we have a guy at the gym named Jack Wingo, and Jack Wingo has been using odd objects for years. And he will, he's got sandbags, and he'll go out and find the highest hill in the town, and he'll carry them things up and all that. Really looks good. He's about 50 years old. But I don't have an interest in that anymore. Now, the one thing that I, I do use a lot is the big, big handle dumbbells to develop grip. And mm-hmm. let guys walk around with that, you know. But as far as as much as I used to do it, uh, I mean, we used to. I, I used to do it. We, we got all kind of record boards, and they're not kept up anymore. They're just kind of there forever now, just like they were. But I mean, we used to have a, the, you know, the barrel lift over the head. It, it, it was really a motivator to guys. They really got excited about beating each other. And it'll make you stronger, you know. It's kind of like powerlifting. And I, I enjoyed being around those guys and watching them do what I couldn't do and what I wished I could do. <laughs> but that would be about <laughs> it for me, Bob, in that direction. I just don't go that route anymore. I'm the same way. I still have I I still use odd objects once in a while. But down here, my clientele is so much different that we don't use them that often. Most of my clients yeah. down here, I'm just doing it part time in my garage now, and most of my clients are over 50. So uh, rarely do I have a young, able-bodied guy. So you know. Even in D.C., we used them mainly as finishers. We didn't use them uh, as part of the regular workout. I mean, the regular workout, we used the, the barbells and the machines. And then at the end of the workout, yeah, you're right, the, the young, able-bodied guys, it was a motivator because they look forward to doing it. So right. and, and we jokingly called it dessert. So the, the main meal, <laughs> <laughs> I'd make them finish the main meal first. I'd make them do all the weights all the hammer strength stuff, all the barbell stuff. And if we finished the main meal, then we got to do dessert and go do the sandbag out in Sandbag Alley. So our time's Yeah, I remember your there. pictures. I remember your pictures <laughs> in Hard Gainer. Yeah. Dick, I want to thank you so much for being on the show again. And uh, always love having you on. And uh, in two weeks, you're invited back again. And uh, if any of our listeners out there live near Evansville, Indiana, then you must get a workout from Coach Connor. Visit the website at thepitbarbellclub.com. Don't be a flamingo. You have to do your squats. Don't be a flamingo. Real lifters work their legs. That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for NaturalStrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion, and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at mindforceradio at earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time.